Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses here. Uh, another week has passed in college football. Uh, is uh, week six down, week seven upon us. Another awesome, awesome week uh, in our sport. I'm Ryan Baff Lucas. I'm joined by Lucas Rohde to break it all down. Lucas, how are you, my friend? I am doing very, very well. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, kind of a lot to cover. And it feels like for the first time we have, you know, it's it's week six um, that just happened. We're heading into week seven. Finally have really, obviously, a ton of storylines from this year. The narratives coming into the season, I think, have kind of played out. And now we're finding, you know, we're, we're having some some big games with some teams we expected. And as we'll get to it, some teams we, we didn't really expect to kind of be in contention at this point. Yeah, this week, by the way, upcoming, I think we have five games of uh, of with teams that are ranked. Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Oklahoma State, TCU, USC, Utah. It's a really stacked week. Probably the first really stacked week. Mm-hmm. Penn State, Michigan as well of the season. So a lot to get to here. Little run of show here. Lucas and I will give out our weekly roses. Then we'll talk about a uh, Matt Rule being fired by Carolina and uh, what that means for the five power five open jobs and maybe a couple more as Rule is almost certain to have his name thrown around quite a bit. Uh, Lucas and I will then kind of take a look at week six. Uh, some of the big results here quickly before moving on to some midseason recap stuff. Surprising teams, disappointing things. We'll go back and take a look at our preseason win total bets and, and see how those are doing uh, after about halfway through the season before a week seven preview. Uh, Lucas, I will uh, let you go first uh, for your weekly rose or roses, as I, I think you're about to do. Yeah, so uh, a little bit different. I'm not giving it to a specific player or a specific team, but kind of a, a, it was uh, an allotment of people because it was actually a very good day. If you were a Power 5 uh, interim head coach, as you mentioned, we're going to be kind of talking about uh, uh, openings uh, that are already. But um, for Power 5 head coaches, 4-0 Colorado did not play this week. Um, so I guess they're, they're technically still undefeated um, underneath their uh, their current interim head coach. But you know, starting off on Friday, uh, Mickey Joseph, the interim for Nebraska. They go on the road and um, win a road game in the Big Ten. Uh, one, I think it was the first time since like 2017 that they had actually won back-to-back Big Ten games. Um, but also they broke uh, what, what had been a crazy streak. I believe it was uh, 10 straight uh, one-possession games that they had lost. Um, they finally win a one-possession game. Three and three, now two and one under him. You had uh, Brent Key down at Georgia Tech. Um, he's now 2-0 and uh, after taking over for Jeff Collins. They upset Pitt last week. And then they beat uh, you know, kind of a, a surprisingly decent Duke team uh, for this year to move to 2-0 and under Brent Key. Uh, obviously, in your neck of the woods, uh, uh, Sean, am I pronouncing it right? Is it Sean Aguano? Correct. Sean Aguano helps lead uh, ASU to upset overranked uh, Washington at home. Um, I think you're starting to see a little bit of life in ASU. We talked kind of last week. They looked really competitive uh, and showed a lot of heart against USC. Um, and now they, they get a really nice win against Washington. And now they have a couple, I think, at least winnable games coming up. It'll be interesting to see how that goes out. Um, and then, obviously, Jim Leonard uh, taking over for Paul Chris at Wisconsin. Wisconsin steamrolls uh, Northwestern uh, 42-7. to 
Um, so all in all, um, all four uh, Power Five interim head coaches got wins this weekend. So it was a good week for them, especially if they're obviously if you know they're in the running for their current at their current spot or just for for future job opportunities for them. So so kudos to them for taking over difficult situations. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of buzz locally with Sean Aguano and and what he has started to do. Um, ASU during last week, one of the days of practice, they had basically 50 to 60 like local high school players from the Valley who were on fall break, come and attend a practice. And they brought some alumni back. You're seeing a lot of younger alumni start to come back into the program. Um, I listen, I have no idea where Ray Anderson's going to go with this hire, but Sean Aguano, I think will get a look, especially, I mean, if he can get ASU to a bowl game right now, they're two and four, but Lucas, to your point, next two games are both on the road at Stanford and at Colorado. There's a good chance you could win both those games. You still have to play Arizona. Like there are some wins on the schedule. Georgia Tech two and zero under Brent Key. I mean, like that's a guy that you know maybe if if Georgia Tech isn't getting the pool of candidates, that's a guy that might be looked at for the job. And I think the same thing with Mickey Joseph. I think maybe for the latter two, my, especially for like Mickey Joseph, as we'll get to here in a little bit. Might be a little challenging for him, but definitely um, I always hesitate on like the first game, new coach team. Mm-hmm. I saw Wisconsin minus 10. I'm like, man, like Wisconsin, Northwestern is terrible. I, I just couldn't do it. I did bet ASU plus 14 because I do like the way they are. Uh, they are are trending as, as well. Uh, my weekly rose goes out to uh, TCU wide receiver Quentin Johnston. How about this second straight year a, a, a t- or second straight week a TCU player getting a rose? Uh, Max Duggan <laughs> got yours last week. Quentin Johnston in TCU's win over Kansas, 14 receptions, 206 yards, one touchdown. It ended up being the game ceiling touchdown in the fourth quarter, 17 targets um, and 110 yards after the catch. He, he was a monster. I mean, like this is a guy that is, is a first or second round pick in next April's draft. Uh, TCU is undefeated. I think they're five and zero. Five and zero or six and zero. I don't know if they yeah, five and zero. I think they're five and zero. Five and zero, and and back to back really nice wins for TCU. They went in in Lawrence, beat Kansas. They have won over Oklahoma. Um, the Big Twelve topsy turvy chaos as usual. TCU asserting itself as one of the better teams, and Quentin Johnston uh, a big part of that. Yeah, no, that was a that was a really really fun game on Saturday. Uh, kudos to Lawrence, Kansas for just having an awesome environment, their third straight sellout um, and still making that a game. Even when, uh, when Jalen Daniels went down uh, early on JB and still stepping up and reporting, but yeah, Quentin Johnson was basically unguardable uh, or uh, yeah, unguardable with their DBs all game. Yep. Um, and probably will be again uh, this week against Oklahoma state when we preview that one as well. Yep. All right. So uh, news came down today. Again, we are recording Monday, October 10th in the evening. That Matt Rule fired from Carolina. The Panthers are one and four. They are lifeless. They got throttled by the San Francisco 49ers. And Matt Rule gone in the middle of uh, of year three. Um, and now instantly becomes one of the hottest names in the coaching carousel. Matt Rule had a ton of success at Temple. Turned that into the Baylor job where kind of in the aftermath of our Bryles, he took that program from like two and 10 to 11 and two or something. Had a really success there. I have been saying, I think on on, on this pod, that Matt Rule is going to be the Nebraska coach. 
that. And, I, and it's it's not to – I mean, I get plenty of things wrong, but this is one that I have not gotten wrong. I said, I said it's not going to work. It's not going to work with Scott Frost. It's not going to work with Matt Rule in Carolina. Matt Rule is going to get fired midseason and will be in a position to accept a college job in November. I still think that could happen. I'm not ready to, to go and say, I, I think it's going to happen. Matt Rule's buyout's $40 million. I saw that. I think he gets like eight hundred grand a month from Carolina. And to me, if I'm, if I'm Matt Rule, I'm just buying a lake house somewhere and hanging out. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of the Matt Rule firing and kind of how this impacts some of the college football coaching carousel? One, I had no idea his buyout was that big uh, for Carolina. He got a he, he got a fifty six million dollar seven year contract in Carolina, <laughs> fully guaranteed seven year deal. It was the first real big like coaching like NFL contract. I remember yeah. it being kind of a big deal at the time because it like reset the NFL market. Well, what's crazy though too is they owe him forty million dollars that's still only half of what uh a&m would owe jimbo fisher if they were to, to fire yeah, him this year true. Too. but uh um but no i think uh we mentioned this yeah matt rule a great obviously a great uh college coach in his own right you mentioned the the baylor yeah they went i actually looked it up one in 11 his first year at baylor um and then they won the big 12 two years later um Obviously, the the record or uh, his record kind of stands for itself. But you know, we we talked about it. the biggest thing was he had to get fired early. You know, say I think that the biggest fear if you were wanting him to be a head coach at college is if they you know they finish like eight nine or or seven and ten and they wait till you know mid January to fire him. But this is perfect. You mentioned Nebraska. I think that would be an excellent fit. You know, he's a Penn State guy, but he's shown that he can coach anywhere in the country. I think that was the big question when he took that Baylor job. He comes from Temple. Most of his coaching connections were in the Northeast, and he did just fine um, and arguably the craziest uh, football state in the U.S. And now you look at this, bringing a guy in like him instead of bringing, you know, someone that's currently at another college job is you could hire him first week in November, if you know that he's your person. And basically he can get a staff together. He, they can start recruiting, everything like that. It, it's almost a perfect situation. I think the biggest thing is after spending three years in the NFL, is Rule going to just want to jump right back in right away for a college job? Or is this going to be a situation where he holds out for, like, like you just mentioned, he's not hurting or needing the money. He's owed $40 million over the next few years. So maybe he's going to be picky and looks where he goes. Um, and, or you know, like you mentioned, I think Nebraska would probably be the the top spot. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, they'd be able to pay him whatever on top of what he's already making with Carolina. So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting, especially if there's more power five jobs that we don't know yet, maybe Auburn, um, or something like that, that come open to that, that might also want to get him as well. Yeah. Um, it truly is an unprecedented situation, right? Where the stars have aligned perfectly for a situation that really, I don't think has ever happened. I mean, theoretically, Matt rule could be a college head coach within the month, right? Mm -hmm. If he, if he really wants to, and, 
And that's something we haven't seen before, but it could be really interesting. Like, let's say he gets hired at Nebraska. They announce it November 1st. Um, He gets three or four weeks to watch the team, to put a staff together, you know, maybe be involved in certain meetings or at least get a lay of the land at his job. So it, it, the only jobs I could see him landing at are Nebraska or Arizona state. I don't think Wisconsin is an option. I, I do think as we spoke last week, it's between Jim Leonard and Lance Leipold and Georgia tech and Colorado. I, I just don't think are, are quote unquote big enough jobs. Not that I, don't, I think ASU is a big job, but at least ASU has had a little bit more of a, of a, a winning track record than Colorado and is in a kind of a bigger market he may want to be in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Ray Anderson, I mean, they've kind of tried to really integrate themselves with the NFL, with guys like Brian Billick and Marvin Lewis and Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce, right? And may, maybe they're going to try to get away from that, so who knows? But Nebraska makes a lot of sense, and, and if he wants to do it. We've seen a lot of kind of fired coaches take that gap year, kind of, yeah. right? Like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, right? Chip Kelly spent a year at at ESPN before he got the UCLA job after the NFL. Dan Mullen is at ESPN. Tom Herman is not employed. We've seen a lot of coaches kind of do this where they, hey, l- l- let me take a year, get a lay of the land. I mean, also think of how much college football has changed since Matt Rule left. Transfer mm-hmm. portal, free transfer year, NIL. It's a different, even from three years ago, right? He last coached in college in the 2019 season. Like, it's a different game now. But I think if he wants a job in this cycle, um, I think there will be a, a couple of jobs that could be really intriguing for him. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a good point, too, just on, on the fact that college has changed so much. You mentioned, like I said, he there's no uh, urgency on his side to get a job. I mean, a lot of these guys, when they go to the NFL, it's because they kind of want to get away from the 24 seven, 365 recruiting, if anything, it's only just amplified since he left. And I think it could make a lot of sense for someone like him to take a gap year, just get a lay of the land, make sure you're fully ready to get into this again. Um, you know, before you, uh, you make your next step. But like you said, his phone is going to ring. It probably already has to be frankly honest with agents, at least with 80s trying to get, a. um, a feeling of where his head is, head is at mentally. But um, if I'm him, I, I at least wait till probably closer to November when you're going to know how many power five jobs are going to be out there. Cause I think the thing that with Matt rule, there's still a lot of upside to him because it's not like he was coaching very, but that long uh, at the top level in college football, he was only at Baylor for three years. Who knows where else he would have taken that program had he had stayed um, another couple of years. So I, I, where I think with some of these other guys, we heard like, you know, Dave Doran, maybe being a guy for Nebraska, I think you kind of have an idea of not necessarily where his ceiling is, but kind of the type of coach you're getting Where with Matt rule. I think there's still a lot of upside to him uh, when you make this hire. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting. Uh, we'll see if we'll, it'll be interesting how many power five jobs are open by like Thanksgiving. Right. I think we expect Auburn to open. I think we expect a couple more um, as we as we, uh, you know, can can continue along the season. And, and haven't seen a coach fired yet this week. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about about week four, uh, which included Georgia uh, with a big win over Auburn. Um, when you look, Lucas, at the week that was nobody in the top 10 went down. 
several intriguing games. Number 11 loses uh, Utah at UCLA. Um, that's kind of the game I want to talk about first. Um, I'm really impressed with UCLA, man. I mean, that is a program. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 299 passing yards. Zach Charbonnet, 198 rushing yards. Utah, uh, UCLA kind of pushes Utah around. They win 42-32. Um, their offensive line looks really good. They're just they're they're pushing people around, and and this was a real test for UCLA. They played a very soft non-conference schedule. They played Colorado in their first uh, Pac-12 game, and these last two weeks they they put a, I thought were pretty comfortable in control over Washington. And then, you know, this game, every time Utah responded or, or every time Utah got within seven or three, UCLA responded. And mm-hmm. I thought they looked really good at home and set themselves up. I know they'll they'll play Oregon, I think, in, in two weeks and then USC yeah. at the end of the season. But put themselves firmly in the uh, conference championship mix. And it, it's a mix. Like, I think the Pac-12 has four pretty good teams. Like, I think USC, UCLA, Oregon. I mean, Oregon's five and one. They they have huge a huge win over BYU. They beat Washington State on the road, um, and I still think Utah. Even though now they're four and two, maybe a tier below those. But uh, UCLA sending a statement to the Pac-12 was kind of the first game that I wanted to go over here with uh, with Week Six. Yeah, I think we'll probably get it when we kind of cover some of our uh, our early season previews when we were talking about UCLA. Um, I think we both thought that they had a pretty decent floor, like probably eight and four was probably the floor for this team. But like you met, like you said it, um, just with how they pushed Utah around, that is, I think when we, when you, when we think of UCLA, we don't necessarily think of, oh yeah, that is a physical hard nosed, uh, punch you in the face type of team. And that's what they did to Utah. You mentioned Jack Charbonnet just two yards shy of 200 rushing yards. Um, and every time Utah, like you said, every time Utah looked like they were getting back in the game, uh, UCLA answered and really kind of uh, put their uh, put their foot on their throat really the last uh, quarter and a half uh, when they got up by as many as 17 uh, to kind of close out that game. And um, they got two weeks before Oregon, which will be could be another potential uh, Pac-12 championship preview um but yeah i think they've been the surprise kind of team out there not that we didn't think they were going to be good i know you had them in there in your pac-12 championship game if i remember right but um i know the offensive line uh was supposed to be kind of a question mark i know they kind of plugged some holes there with transfers but it's been fantastic so far um in this offense just watching that game it's just so much fun to watch. Um, and I know, I think people were kind of questioning if Chip Kelly still had kind of the uniqueness and stuff like he had at Oregon. I think he clearly has it better and he doesn't have a, a, much of a better quarterback to run that system than uh, uh, Darren Thompson Robinson too. Um, it's kind of funny. Remember they, they almost got Dylan Gabriel to begin. He was on here for like yeah. a couple of days and then flipped um to, to Oklahoma, I think they're pretty happy with, with that result. Because uh, yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson's been one of the best, not just one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and on the West Coast, but in the country this year. Um, and they've been uh, just extremely fun to watch. The only top 10 team that um, struggled a little bit was Alabama. And for the second straight year, 
you know, uh, Alabama, uh, a tight one with A&M. They do come out on top, 24-20. A&M is in a position to win, a, to win the game. I mean, they're at the two-yard line with three seconds left, essentially, after a, after a pass interference penalty in, in the end zone. And um, I don't know if, if you have kind of heard what's happened around that final play about how the Alabama corner apparently looked at the sideline and saw Jimbo mouthing like Evan, Evan, Evan talking about Evan Stewart and that. So he knew the ball was going there, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, Alabama without Bryce Young, again, struggle offensively, struggled to move the ball through the air. Um, any any lasting takeaways, Lucas? Did, 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 did this change your mind upon either A&M, which falls to 3-3, three and three, or Alabama, which uh, has been tested on the road a lot this season? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing is just you hope – uh, um, that Young gets back this week for Alabama. Obviously, they have a, a huge, huge game uh, in Knoxville uh, here in the third week of October. But I think the biggest thing is just the lack, and we've kind of seen it all year from Alabama, it's just the lack of an explosive passing game. You know, we're used to, over the last few years, we've been so spoiled with the, uh, you know, the Devontae Smiths, the Jalen Waddles, John Mechie, you know, Jamison Williams, you know, you name them, all the first-round picks. And it just, doesn't seem like they have that uh, this year. I know they brought in, you know, a handful of transfers. Uh, the one transfer who's been kind of a godsend for them, though, has been Jameer Gibbs. Um, he had another huge game for them. Uh, 154 yards on the ground, averaged 7.3 yards per carry. He was kind of a bright spot. Um, but, man, do they need, uh, uh, you know, Bryce Young back uh, this week? He's sounds like he's going to be. Um, but to me, this is just kind of another thing we've seen with Bama this year. It, this game reminded me a little bit of the, the LSU game they played uh, in Tuscaloosa last year. It was close. LSU kind of had the ball, um, got deep into Alabama territory with a chance to potentially win it. And I, I think this is just one of those. You knew that A&M was going to come out. This was, a, this was potentially going to be, what, their third potential loss in a row or, or three out of four. Yeah. Um, you knew they were going to kind of come out with, especially with all the preseason hype that came into this game. Um, but I think if you're Alabama, you're just happy you won this with a backup quarterback and you move on. Hopefully you get Bryce Young back. Um, Cause you're going to have to play a hell of a lot better than this. If you're going to want to beat Tennessee this week. Yeah. Let's talk about Tennessee. Uh, they throttle LSU 40 <laughs> to 13 in tiger stadium. LSU fumbles the opening kickoff. Um, LSU gives up a huge punt return, like the second drive of the game to set up Tennessee with a field goal. I watched a lot of this game. This was my main screen on like the morning. And my main takeaway is, is I don't think LSU is very good. Um, Brian Kelly, I thought had some very questionable decisions of some fourth down calls, especially one close to halftime where they get stuffed, like at like the 40 Tennessee then has a couple plays, gets in field goal range. Um, Tennessee, I think is should be a top five team in the country. Um, I know that they're, I believe they're seventh or eighth right now. Um, to me, they should be ahead of Michigan. To me, even maybe Clemson. I just think what they've proven this year. You go at LSU, they've won at Pitt. They beat Florida at home. Like Hendon Hooker. I mean, we'll we'll talk a little bit about this. I think in a little bit about midseason Heisman. But like right now, I think if the season ended today, Hendon Hooker would probably be my vote for the Heisman Trophy winner. Mm -hmm. He has been the probably the best player in college football this year on a, a really good team. I thought Tennessee's defense played well. They pressured Jane Daniels. They kept him in the pocket. They, they forced everything underneath. Um, 
Tennessee was without Cedric Tillman. It just it just doesn't matter. I mean, it, just, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. They score on anyone, and I think they'll score on Alabama this week. I know we'll I know we'll get there, but really, really impressive with Tennessee. And one of the things that I, I was gonna kind of bring this bring this up to you was like, are we sure Tennessee isn't gonna beat one of Georgia or Alabama? The, the, they play both of them this year. I, I to me, yeah. Tennessee is clearly is the third best team in the SEC, and I think the gap between them and Auburn or um, Georgia and Alabama, not Auburn. <laughs> I was going to um, say, yeah, it's, it's pretty far if it's Auburn. <laughs> I think they're closer to Alabama and Georgia than they are the fourth best team, which is probably Mississippi State at, at, at this point. So I, I came away, I keep being very impressed with how Tennessee plays. Well, they just handled their business. I think a lot of people looked at this game, they were coming off of a bye. And just the way Tennessee just kind of has been, Every it seems like every time we hype them up, they just have either, uh, you know, just an inconceivable loss or they go on a downtrend. And this was just, like you mentioned, this is kind of an ass kicking. I mean, you look at their offense, 239 through the air, 263 on the ground, very balanced. Their defense, you mentioned it, they got after Jalen Daniels, five sacks um, on the day for Tennessee's front. And, you know, to me, it just, I think it just speaks of a level of maturity that they had that, you know, this was the first time and, don't get me started on it, but it's for this first time in 12 years they played in Baton Rouge. Um, this could have been, you know, intimidating and everything like that. But instead, they just handled their business. And I agree with you. I, um, especially, you know, looking, you know, Kentucky lost this past week. You know, Ole Miss, I don't think, has severely been challenged. Uh, we even talked about that game against Kentucky was a little fluky and, and how they kind of came away from that. Um, but I tend to agree with you. I think. The gap is there, and we've seen, you know, obviously Bama these last couple of weeks, and also Georgia, um, not this past week against Auburn, but you know, against teams like Mizzou and Kent State, it showed that you know they're not super invincible. And to me, when when you have a quarterback as dynamic as Hendon Hooker, you're going to have a chance in just about every game that you play because he can flip the field. He's just a game changer um, at that at that position. So. I tend to agree with you, and that's why I'm super excited for this game. And it sounds like they may get Cedric Tillman back this week for Bama, which would be obviously a huge lift for them. Um, not like they needed it offensively, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. Two more games to, uh, that I wanted to make sure we touched on. South Carolina beats Kentucky on the road. That's a nice win for Shane Beamer's team. Will Levis did not play uh, in this game. And then Florida State. Loses a really tough one in Raleigh, nineteen to seventeen. Florida State led seventeen three at halftime. Uh, Devin Leary goes out in this game with the shoulder injury. Tennis, uh, NC State did not; they didn't have a single passing yard. They, I think they had minus five passing yards in the second half of this game. Um, and I, I, I didn't watch a ton of this game. I did see the final basically play where Florida State, I think, is at like the 25, 20 yard line, and and. Listen, kudos to Mike Norvell. Florida State's had a lot of kicking issues, so I, I understand not playing f- just for the field goal. But Jordan Travis was throwing basically a, a fade to the end zone, and, and Micah Pittman cut the other way, and NC State survives. Tough one for Florida State. They have Clemson this week. Um, NC State, I guess, kind of keeps itself alive in the ACC Atlantic. That's going to be very tough. But um, those are a couple of games I also wanted to touch on. You also had uh, Oregon taking care of business against Arizona. Wake Forest takes care of business against Army. Notre Dame beats BYU in Vegas, 28-20. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, talked a little bit about TCU and Kansas. That was just a, it was just a fun game. I, I don't think I would, I think I, I moved both teams almost up. Like that's just a fun, well-played football game. Kansas also loses their starting quarterback. Um, Lucas, anything else from what I said you want to touch on or any other games you want to, uh, you want to touch on here? Oh, I, I, I'm shocked you didn't bring this one up, uh, Ryan, unless you were trying to cue me up, but we had a, just an old traditional great old fashioned big 10 West, uh, <laughs> slug fest oh, in Iowa, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Illinois comes away, wins this game nine to six. Um, I just kind of caught the end of this game. Uh, I saw Illinois, uh, kick the game winning field goal. Um, in the, in the final minutes to close this one out. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> this was Illinois defense. Really, really good as is Iowa's. Um, but, uh, Iowa's offense, man, we, we're going to probably touch on, I mean, that was one of our overreactions is, is this going to be the worst, uh, worst offense in, in college football and, it has not disappointed. You Still. said they are going to have the worst offense in FBS, and I was like, Lucas, don't be, don't be, don't be mad. Don't let your Wisconsin bias get in the way. It turns out I was, I was letting my Iowa bias get in the way, apparently, because they are so bad offensively. It is a every week their totals in like the early to like it's like the low to mid thirties. I think the I think the Illinois one closed at like thirty six and a half, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. Knowing me, this is the game I'll bet in Iowa like wins twenty seven to twenty one or some you know stuff like that. And nope, not not this one. <laughs> I think they've hit the under in every game besides the uh, the Rutgers game, and that was just largely because I think they had two defensive touchdowns um, and they had a scoop and score and a pick six. But kudos to, to Illinois; they're five and one. Um, they're cur- if if I had to say right now, I mean they're probably the team playing the best in the West. However. They lose Tommy DeVito, so yes. that certainly is going to be an issue. It looks like he'll probably be out at least a couple weeks. Yeah, so and, they have they have Minnesota this week and Nebraska mm-hmm. next week. And yeah. if Tommy DeVito is healthy, like I would maybe say this is a team that has a good chance to get to Indy. If he misses these two games, they, they could lose both of them because Art Sikowski is not it, man. He's just not. No, he's not. We've seen that. We've seen him at Rutgers. We've seen him the last couple of years at Illinois. Um, completely agree with you. Um, and the other team in there um, that could be pushing and could see an opportunity is is Purdue. Um, they actually had a really nice win on the road at Maryland. That was a crazy game. Uh, Maryland goes down and scores and then does not get the two-point conversion uh, to tie it at the end um, to force it into overtime. Um, yeah, Purdue's another team. We, we talked about it last week. There are maybe, what, two game-winning drives this year um, from being six and zero right now. Purdue um, should at the very least be five and one. That's Syracuse game. Yeah. I mean, there were so many brutal things for them to not win that game. They should at least be five and one and probably ranked. Agreed. 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 Um, and I believe they have they go on the road at Nebraska this coming week too. But um, that was a that was a nice win for them, especially against a Maryland team that I think is is also pretty good. But um, Outside of that, uh, you kind of touched on Mississippi State. They absolutely crush Arkansas without KJ Jefferson. Um, we mentioned they maybe have something to say about being that that third potential best team in the SEC. And I think uh, just another one in the ACC. Um, North Carolina uh, goes on the road and wins at Miami, uh, despite almost 500 passing yards by Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, North Carolina comes victorious. I think 
right now you're seeing, I don't believe they've played Pitt yet, but I think if I have to pick a team in the coastal, I'm probably going with them because I think they have the most explosive offense and you can make an argument. They might have the best quarterback now on that side of the division um, as well. So nice win uh, for them, but uh, otherwise um, besides that, I don't think I have anything else to add from, uh, from week six. All right. So week six kind of marks the unofficial halfway point in the college football season. The majority of teams have played six games. So we're, this sucks to say, I know we're roughly halfway through the college football season, um, but we are we are looking forward here. But first, we got to look back. We're 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 going to take a look at our preseason win total picks. Lucas and I made some some bets on preseason win totals. We're going to go over them now and and do some more midseason uh, recaps. Such, uh, Lucas, do you happen to have yours open? I do. We can read them to you. Um, oh my! Uh, your my your picks. win totals. All right, so I will read mine first, and then I'll give my thoughts on kind of where things stand. I have Nebraska under 7.5, Stanford under 4.5 wins, Washington State over 5.5, LSU over 6.5, Louisville over 5.5, Oklahoma State over 8.5, and Vandy over 2.5. Vandy over 2.5 is already a hit. That has cashed. Vanderbilt is 3-3. and As far as the other ones go, um, Oklahoma State, I feel pretty good about that. They have to go basically four and three the rest of the way. They're five and no. I feel pretty good about that. Louisville is a team I think I I got wrong. Um, They had a nice win this week when they went to Virginia and beat um, they beat the the uh, the Cavaliers without Malik Cunningham. Um, So Louisville, I believe, is three and three, but that's going to be tough to get to six. LSU over six and a half, I feel like I feel okay about, but I also just don't think LSU is very good. They're a little bit worse than I thought they were going to be this year. Washington State over five and a half. I think we both have that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I think is looking really good. The Cougars are are four and two. I think on their way to a seven or eight win season. Stanford under four and a half also I think looks pretty good. They're one and one and three. No, they're they're one and one four, four. I think yeah, and have not won since an opening week win over. Over Colgate, Nebraska under seven and a half. Um, Nebraska's three and three, right? Yes. Yeah, I I think that one is safe, but they are they're playing decently well under Mickey Joseph. So I mean, their their November is is pretty brutal. Um, just from a scheduling, I think they have to play. It might not look as brutal now, but they I think they have like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. They play all four of those teams that month. Um, I think you'll be a big Purdue fan this week, just to ensure that uh, that yeah. it doesn't even come close to hitting. Right. Um, I other, I also have a, a ticket with NC State ACC champion at plus seven fifty, which is probably not going to hit after they lose to Clemson. But I have a UCLA Pac twelve champion uh, ticket at plus a thousand. And, uh, that is, uh, I listen, I, I think we, we talked about UCLA, like they're going to rack up some wins. And I felt like them being able to do that, getting Utah at home, you know, USC obviously is just in in LA, regardless of where it is. I thought they'd be pretty good this year. and And I feel like I was pretty right on that. I got plenty of things wrong, but, uh, I would not be surprised if UCLA is in that championship game in Vegas, whether they're playing Oregon or USC. No, I think it would be 
Uh, I'm going to say right now, I think I'd be shocked if they aren't. Yeah. Um, just the way they've looked. Yes, they still got to play Oregon. Still got to play USC um, later in the year. But, I mean, they've already beaten two pretty good teams. I had Utah going to the, the Pac-12 championship game. And um, that is looking lesser and less unless they, they got – they basically have to beat USC this weekend. But um, I think UCLA plus – Plus 1,000, I think, is looking really, really good uh, right now. So kudos for you for uh, Thank you. for doing that. All right. Um, what are, uh, do you want to go ahead and read yours, or should I? Yep. No, I, I got them up here. So um, as you mentioned, had Wazoo over 5.5. Still feeling pretty good. I know they've lost. What are they? Four, are they 4-2 and two right now? Correct. 4-2. Um, and two. I think they've been much better than what we, what we kind of thought. Even against USC this week, they were leading that game. Um, for a good chunk. It wasn't like, yeah, they lost by 16, but it wasn't like USC completely overpowered them or anything like that. I think they'll still win uh, some of the lesser games on their schedule. I believe they play Oregon State this coming week. That'll be a big one. If they can win that, I think you can almost for sure feel like they're going to cash. I had Mizzou over five and a half. That's been extremely frustrating these last uh, these last three weeks to watch Mizzou basically and be in good position to win all three of those games and not win either of them, uh, especially, especially against Auburn. Um, one that's already ended. Um, I had Houston over nine and a half. Um, they're already three and three. So um, that was a, a team had a lot of people coming back. A lot of people were high on their defense. They didn't have UCF or Cincinnati on their schedule. Um, Unfortunately, they lost games to uh, Texas Tech. Uh, they lost. They, they got beat down by Kansas, um, and then they also lost to I think it was Tulane. And then last week, they were they got damn lucky. They came back down by two possessions and under two minutes left, and ended up winning by one point at Memphis. Getting yeah, that was a game that they had no business winning. They no. Had no business beating Memphis. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so, but that one's already done. I had BYU over eight and a half. Big game this week for them uh, against Arkansas to potentially get that. Um, I had Boise State over nine, um, which at the beginning of the year hasn't looked great, but they've actually won three in a row. Um, we'll see if we can get there. Syracuse under four and a half. They haven't even lost a game. They're five and zero oh already. So that one did That's not dead. cash. That is <laughs> I read it uh, that I, one out for you, buddy. I read it yeah. out for you on, on, uh, on the sheet. That one, uh, Maryland over five and a half. Um, still feel pretty good despite the loss. They get Indiana this week uh, to potentially go to five and two. Um, Florida over seven. I think Florida's been a little bit better. Obviously, the win against Utah was a was a huge boost at the beginning of the year. Um, same as you, Nebraska under seven and a half. Had Auburn over six, which to me now I'm kind of regretting that at this point. Um, Arizona State under five and a half, um, which I actually felt good about until this week. Um, and now seeing kind of their remaining games, there might be potentially four winnable games on that schedule. Then I had uh, Marshall over seven and a half. Um, and then already cashed like you already um, had Vanderbilt over two and a half, which is already cashed um, and is collecting interest. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. I did not put any for uh, for conference champions or, or anything like that. I was not as bold as you were, sir. So, um, and I also believe I also had Louis. I don't know why it's not on here, but I'm pretty sure I also had Louisville uh, 
over four and a half as well. So, um, so yeah, so kind of a mixed bag. I feel good about half of these and the other half I think are already cracked. So kind of like my betting career. It's like 50, 50, pretty much all the time. So, um, so as we kind of look at the, the, the landscape of college football here, uh, through the first half of the season, obviously I think Kansas Syracuse are, are prime candidates for most, uh, surprising team. I think, you know, A&M, Notre Dame, preseason top eight teams that have fallen off. Um, I think there are some teams that we thought were going to be good and are good like Georgia and, and like Michigan and, and like, um, you know, Alabama. Um, but Lucas, as you sit here through um, about half of the season, looking back on what you thought preseason, anything that you were really right on or that you were really wrong on or, or what are your, you know, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I felt I was right on, I was very high on TCU coming yeah. in uh, to the season. I picked them to, to play in the uh, big 12 championship game against Oklahoma, which, Oklahoma has been the complete opposite of that. But, you know, I just thought that team kind of gave up on Gary Patterson last year. Obviously, you mentioned there was still talent. You know, Max Duggan, Chandler Morris couldn't really go wrong with them at quarterback. You had uh, Quentin Johnston, um, who was already a stud coming into this year. And you had a great offensive mind in Sonny Dykes coming in. I thought at worst they would be a really entertaining team. Um, and the way the, the the Big 12 I thought was going to shake out, the way it kind of is, is I thought people were just going to beat up on on one another. I didn't think there was going to be a dominant team in it this year. Um, so I got that right. Obviously, Oklahoma on the other side. Who knows where Oklahoma's going to go? Um, yeah, they play Kansas this week. Who knew that Kansas would be higher ranked than Oklahoma when they were meeting six games in? Uh, so then the Big 12 has... The Big 12 has five ranked teams, and Oklahoma is not one of them. They started top 10. Yeah. And Baylor is not one of them. They started top 10. 10. I mean, the Big 12 continues to be absolute chaos. Kansas is 3-0. and Oklahoma State, TCU are both 2-0. and They'll meet this week in a battle of top 15 teams in Fort Worth. And then Kansas at 2-1, and and I think a team that's finding something is Texas. Mm-hmm. Um that was a huge statement win, 49-0 over Oklahoma. Quinn Ewers just, you know, you you watch Quinn Ewers and, and you know why he was ranked as high as he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just does things that a few quarterbacks in the country can do. And Texas is 2-1. and one. They have a, a loss to Texas Tech, but they have wins over West Virginia, West Virginia and Oklahoma in the conference. And they are right in the thick of the Big 12 title race. So once again, the Big 12, just the conference of chaos, as as usual. As usual. Um, and no, it should be a really, really exciting stretch in there. And I think a team I underestimated, but you really like still is Oklahoma State. I wasn't sure, you know, kind of sticking in that conference. After they lost Jim Knowles, a lot of personnel and what was one of the better defenses in the country. Could they rely on their offense to win games? And the answer to the question, Yes. Spencer Sanders has been really, really good. Um, you know, they kind of had a, a shootout last week or this past week against Texas Tech where they had to score a lot of points, and they did. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting game with them in TCU. I think another surprising team, uh, one that that is – we've always been very friendly towards this program, but that's Illinois. Um, the fact that they're ranked now 24th 
and really kind of in the driver's seat in the West. We did touch on, you know, Tommy DeVito, unfortunately, is injured now. But um, I just think the way their defense has been, you know, Chase Brown, the, run, uh, the running game has been fantastic for them as well. Um, I think they're, uh, you know, a, a very, very modest surprise. And um, I think if you're looking at, you know, you already touched on, uh, you know, Syracuse. Um, but I think, uh, you know, North Carolina kind of settling down and now them kind of being the driver's seat, you know, this early probably in the coastal is something that uh, I didn't necessarily expect either. But, um, but yeah, I would say those. I think Florida's been kind of uh, a little bit better than expected uh, under year one under Billy Napier. But, um, but yeah, out of that, I think those are probably the, the most surprising teams out of there. Um, that at least come off the top of my mind. Yeah. Illinois is a good one. Uh, the preseason went until it was four and a half. I think some people, I think most people thought a successful season is six wins, maybe seven. And listen, you still have to play Nebraska. You still have to play Minnesota. You got to play Michigan on the road, but there's a path where they win eight or nine games this year. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how likely it is, but that's a team that knows who they are. They're going to play great defense. They're going to run the football. Now, it helps when you can have some semblance of a passing game with Tommy DeVito, and they have improved that. But um, they're going to play defense, and they're going to run the ball. And that, I think, travels probably to any team in the Big Ten besides Ohio State. Like, I think mm-hmm. I would – I don't think they have a good chance to beat Michigan, but I, if they're, you know, 8-2 and two or 7-2, or and two, like whatever, when they play there, who knows? Uh, the ACC Coastal continues to be, I think, as we kind of turn my attention to some disappointing teams, Miami at, at two and three, yeah. Oklahoma at three and three. You know, we one of the storylines we talked about preseason was new coaches and the transfer portal and, and how what does that look like? You're right. You know, LSU signed like 24 transfers. USC signed a ton of transfers. Arizona State, a ton of transfers. I think it's had mixed results, right? You know, obviously at USC with Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and you know, Travis Dye and all, all those guys, like they're loving it. They're six and oh. They are, I think are a legit playoff team. Um we'll see. They have a, a really big test this week against Utah. But Miami, I mean, they are they are two and three. I think three straight losses now. Um they don't I picked I think I know I picked Miami to win the coastal. Did you had North Carolina? Or no, you had Pitt. I pit. I pit. pit. I mean, I had Miami to win the coastal. And they are 0-1 in conference and um, a tough tiebreaker loss to North Carolina, who's 5-1. Texas A&M, you know, we had said in the preseason, like, a successful season for A&M. If they are on this national championship trajectory, which every program that has had number one recruiting class has won a national championship with that class, they had to win nine or ten games and make, like, a Sugar Bowl appearance. And... That's not going to happen. They're three and three already. They still have to play Ole Miss. They still have to play LSU. They still have to play Florida. They still have to play um, Auburn. Like there are some more losses on that schedule. Um, Has not been easy sledding for Jimbo Fisher. Um, Iowa is a program that looks kind of lifeless. I know they're three and three, but they just can't score. And Iowa's become kind of the laughing stock of college football. I mean, it's it's become a national thing where like. The offense is is so bad that like people outside of the college football world are talking about it, which is just crazy to me. 
Well, and then it's I think like, when you, go ahead. I was just gonna say, well, it's just like deliberately bad. Like it's almost like yeah. it was planned. Like they planned for it to be this bad, and it just. Uh, I feel, I said this a few weeks ago. I feel for Iowa fans because their defense is is still really really damn good, and there is nothing more frustrating than when your offense just has no pulse, and your defense is basically giving you every chance to win. And your offense just can't do anything, but yeah. it's yeah, it's bad. But you know, he's probably Brian Ferentz probably going to be back there next year, um, probably coaching quarterbacks and running backs like he took on this year. So who knows? Uh, the Pac-12 I think has been surprisingly strong. Like if there's one conference, and I know I'm a little biased out here out west, but there's one conference I think overall that's surprised. I think the Pac-12 is actually really competitive. I mean, USC, UCLA, and Oregon are all ranked in the top 12. Utah's ranked 20th. Um, you have Washington and Washington State, both at 4-2. and two. Arizona's 3-3. Three and three. You only have two teams in the conference with losing records now. They are both really bad. Colorado's 0-5 and, and Stanford's 1-4. and four. Um, But besides that, I think it's a very competitive league. I think USC's brought some juice in year one under Lincoln Riley. And certainly they look like a... a Pac-12 championship and maybe even beyond contending team with how good they are. But I've been pleasantly surprised with the Pac-12. And I think not surprisingly, I've been a little disappointed with the SEC. Um, I think especially the SEC West. I mean, Michigan, Mississippi State's the second best team in that division. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Auburn's very good. I don't think LSU's very good. A&M struggled this year. Arkansas's, I think, lost three in a row. Um and, you know, as far as the SEC East goes, Tennessee certainly has come on the scene. Um, the East might be stronger than the West this year, right? When you look at Tennessee, when you look at Kentucky, Ole Miss is still really good. I, I kind of forget about Ole Miss. They are ranked top 10 in the country. Um, but, yeah, I, I think stock up halfway through is 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 uh, the Pac-12. Now, of course, USC and UCLA are a big part of that, and they're leaving in two years. But right now, um, I think the Pac-12s had a nice little uh, start to the 2022 season. This was like kind of a godsend for the Pac-12. I mean, coming into this year, even before the, the USC, US, UCLA move, you know, everyone thought it was maybe the worst Power 5 league. Um, you know, the punch, I, the Pac-12 network just has become a punchline um, for, for uh, opponents of the league. And, um and then, obviously, with the news that USC and UCLA are coming in, uh, no, it's been good. But I think it, it, it helps that you've had you have a lot of good coaches. I think in the Pac-12, you know, with Washington making a really good hire with Kalen DeBoer, Oregon basically continuing what they were doing under Cristobal with the Dan Lanning hire. Uh, you know, Chip Kelly kind of getting stuff figured out at UCLA, and then obviously the big one, Lincoln Riley coming to USC. Um, and then also, you know, the middle ground, I think, has gotten better in that league, too, with Oregon State, Washington State being better than expected. Um, and it's just been a fun league. It's been awesome uh, that you still uh, – it's just been great having the Pac-12 back, having late-night Pac-12 after dark games that have huge national implications. Um, even this weekend, just having Utah and UCLA fighting um, – over potential risk in the or a potential spot in the in the Pac-12 title game this week was good. So it's it's what they needed at a time because I mean we were talking just a couple of months ago. You know, is this league even going to be around? 
in a few years with everything going on. And hopefully this is a, a sign of more good things to happen for the league moving forward. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on to week, uh, week seven. Yeah. It's a loaded week. Uh, I'll go through some of the TV uh, schedule here and then we'll dive into some of the big games. Um, one power five game before Saturday. It is Thursday. Uh, Baylor visiting West Virginia, seven o'clock Eastern on FS one. Um, absolutely loaded Saturday. The noon slate, um, the headlining game, Penn State at Michigan, uh, noon Eastern on Fox. Auburn visits Ole Miss on ESPN. Kansas goes to Oklahoma on ESPN2. Iowa State at Texas on ABC. Uh, interesting game over in Lucas's neck of the woods, uh, Minnesota at Illinois. Uh, noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. Moving into the 330 slate, Alabama at Tennessee in Knoxville. 3.30 on CBS. Uh, Oklahoma State visits number 13 TCU uh, on ABC. Uh, NC State at Syracuse. Battle of ranked teams in the uh, in the ACC. That's on the ACC Network. 3.30 Eastern. Arkansas at BYU on ESPN. Moving to the uh, moving to the evening slate. Clemson visits Florida State. 7.30 Eastern on ABC. Stanford at Notre Dame on Peacock at 7.30. Mississippi State at Kentucky. On the SEC Network, USC at Utah, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Um, North Carolina at Duke, 8 p.m. Eastern on the ACC Network. And then Washington State at Oregon State, 9 p.m. Eastern time on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Lucas, the two big ones, Penn State, Michigan, and Alabama and Tennessee. Um, How do you see Penn State and Michigan? I think it's two teams... Um, that haven't been tested a ton this year. I think Penn State a little bit more than Michigan. Uh, Michigan's looked a little lethargic. I mean, they kind of played with their food against Iowa. They didn't cover their 17-point spread against Maryland. Uh, And then even this week, they were tied with Indiana at 10 uh, at halftime. Penn State Mm -hmm. team coming off a bye. What do you think their chances are in Ann Arbor? I think it's I think it's pretty good. I mean, especially coming off of a bye, you've had you know an extra week to prepare uh, versus Michigan. Um, I just think, you know, I think Penn State's kind of flown under the radar. They had that nice Week One win on the road at Purdue, uh, where Sean Clifford had to do a game-winning drive. Um, you know, to me, I think Penn State defensively. Um, should be able to match up, especially in the secondary. You have, you know, a guy like Joey Porter Jr. going against a pretty good uh, wide receiving core um, for Michigan. I think the biggest question is, can you stop the run? Blake Corum's been on an absolute tear the last few weeks. Um, And you know that's first and foremost what Michigan wants to do is establish the run. Um, But I see this. I think the point spread right now is about seven. Um, which I thought was was a, just a little bit high, but because this will be for both teams, though it's the best teams that they've played to this point. Um, but I think both teams match up um, honestly pretty well um, against each other. I think with with Penn State, if you it's what type of Sean Clifford are you going to get? Are you going to get um, you know the ones that we the games that we've seen where he can be elusive? Uh, and make plays, or are we going to get the one where the, the offense kind of gets lethargic, kind of like it did against Northwestern a couple weeks ago, um, where even just getting to 20 is going to be tough. So 
Um, I do see this, though, as being a close, probably not a super high-scoring game, but I think a very, very close one. A couple intriguing games in the noon slate in, in the Big 12, Kansas-Oklahoma. Iowa State at Texas. Oklahoma, seven-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Kansas. Texas hosting Iowa State. They're like a 17-point favorite. Texas, I said it before, uh, I think they're getting their mojo. I mean, Quinn Ewers is back. Um, they're pretty healthy on offense. Iowa State kind of licking its wounds here. They lost 10-9, to nine, uh, didn't score a touchdown against uh, Kansas State at home. Uh, and then Kansas, like, how do they rebound? They Is it weird for me to say that I think Kansas with Jalen Daniels has a great shot at Oklahoma? Like, that just feels so weird to say, but we don't know about Dylan Gabriel. And the 49-0 against Texas, that is a – I think that sticks with you. So I'm interested to see what Oklahoma team do we see. Are they going to be able to get off the deck? Because even Kansas with their backup quarterback, like they were moving the ball. They put up 31 points. Um, I think Lance Leipold and that staff, they do a great job of, of scheming and getting guys open. And It wouldn't surprise me if Kansas goes in there as a as about a touchdown underdog and, and beats Oklahoma. Well, and the biggest thing too, I put this in my notes, Oklahoma's last three games they've given up. They gave up 49 to Texas, 55 to TCU, and then 41 to Kansas State. And so to me, if I, I'm looking at this and I'm Kansas, that has been a very good offense all year, um, I'm kind of licking my chops just a little bit. But yeah, I'm same with you. Just how is Oklahoma going to respond? Is this a team that's going to pack it in? Because pretty much all their goals are pretty much done. They're not probably going to compete for the Big 12 championship after last week's loss. Uh, so, yeah, just interested to see kind of how that mindset is. And I'm not sure if they if they have any injury report on Jalen Daniels, if he's going to be coming back. But like you mentioned, I think they might be just fine the way Jane Bean played uh, against TCU last week. Um, All right. The 1230 slate, 1230 Pacific time on CBS, Alabama at Tennessee. Game day back to Tennessee for, I, I think, the second time in four weeks. We don't know about Bryce Young. Um, a lot of people are expecting him to play, but we probably won't know until either later in the week or probably Saturday morning, to be honest. Lucas, I think Tennessee, I mean, I, I'm buying Tennessee. I think they can score on just about anyone. They're explosive. Hendon Hooker is has been maybe the best college quarterback this year. Not draft prospect or you know whatever, but just college quarterback. And Alabama has looked very suspicious on the road, right? I mean, didn't look great against Texas one by one. Um, Bryce Young gets injured against Arkansas, but at one point that was a five-point game on the road. Um, I think they need Bryce Young to win this game. I don't mm-hmm. know if, if – now listen, they can run on just about anyone. Jameer Gibbs is, is torching defenses, but uh, I think Tennessee's in a great spot here. Yeah, uh, well, and you mentioned their last um, one of their other road games this year that they almost lost against Texas. We saw what Quinn Ewers was able to do um, and kind of stretch the field against that Alabama defense. Uh, I think Hennon Hooker's going to be able to do the same thing and the weapons that they have on that Tennessee offense. I agree with you. By the way, lowest ticket right now for Neyland Stadium is over $350 um, if you want a seat in here. Obviously, living here in Tennessee – a lot of my colleagues, a um, couple of them are volunteer season ticket holders, and they basically said that they could, a couple of them have been offered money that they could pay off their mortgage for a couple months, probably, with the amount of money that they're getting offered for tickets. Wow. So, 
it's uh, pretty crazy. Probably the biggest, I mean, when was the last time there was a game this big in Knoxville? It has to be a couple decades, probably. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if, if there was any, like, Lane Kiffin juice for a season or or something, but um, it's pretty remarkable how quickly Hypel's got this turned around. I mean, I think they won eight games last year, seven or eight games last year, and and uh, they have the right people in place, and it's probably only getting better, to, judging on their recruiting rankings. Um, the other uh, game at 3.30 Eastern on ABC, it's Oklahoma State and TCU. Winner really puts himself in a great spot to make the Big 12 championship game. Uh, this is a really tough spot for Oklahoma State. Um, I think in the con- consecutive weeks, they've had Baylor. They've had, they had a tough time with Texas Tech, gave up, I think well over 500 yards, 31 points to the Red Raiders. I expect a lot of points in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the over-under, I think, was like 68, 69. But this, to me, are two fire, uh, two offenses with a lot of firepower. Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston for TCU, Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State. Uh, the Sooners, I think, just have a nice blend of, of they can score, and then if they have to, I thought their defense in the first half, especially against Baylor, was pretty good. I think their defense in the second half against uh, Texas Tech was a little better. So, interested with this one. TCU just keeps rolling, five and zero. Um, Sonny Dykes' first year, just like doing really, really, really good things there. Uh, so, this is an intriguing one there uh, down in Fort Worth. Yeah, uh, great. I mean, this could be potentially another game where we're seeing these two play in Arlington at the end of the year. I think these two have clearly shown themselves to be the two best teams. Now, Texas may have something to say for that. Um, But no, I think both, I think this is going to come down to which quarterback, whether that be Spencer Sanders or Max Duggan for TCU, can make the most plays uh, in the fourth quarter. Because like you said, I think this is going to be an extremely high scoring game. Um, Both these teams, TCU is not great defensively, but both these teams at least have shown this year that they're very comfortable in games where they each have to score 30 plus points. So I'd be disappointed. I may have to jump on the overtrain on that game. Um, but who knows? I'm a little gun shy after getting burnt by uh, Texas and Oklahoma this, uh, this past week. But Yeah. Well, Texas helped you out. Oklahoma, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we go to the, we go to the evening slate Clemson at Florida state um, USC at Utah, five o'clock Pacific time in Salt Lake city on Fox. Preseason was the game of the year in the Pac-12. Uh, I think Oregon and UCLA have some things to say about that now. But this was a game that we had circled, right? First time USC is probably an underdog. We thought in the preseason. I think that has come to fruition. They are, I think, three, three and a half last I checked. But, you know, this is a Utah team that is not quite, I think, what we expected. Obviously, they had the tough loss on the road against Florida week one where they really had a good chance to at least go to overtime. Cam rising through the interception. Um, they had four blowout wins in a row, including over Arizona State and Oregon State in conference. But last year, you know, last week, give up 42 points on the road to UCLA, give up over 200 rushing yards. They are not – I don't think they're as good along the lines of scrimmage as they have been on the offensive and the defensive line. And I think USC is going to come in there – I like the fact that they've already played at Oregon State. Um, I think they're going to come in there very motivated because this is the first – this is their measuring stick game, right? This is the first time they've played 
Utah or Oregon or, you know, a team of that caliber under Lincoln Riley. So um, I'm expecting good things from USC. I, I think they win the football game. Uh, I, I think USC, I just think they're proving to be a class above Utah at this point. I don't know if Utah is in that top tier of Utah, of, of UCLA, USC, and Oregon. I just don't know if they're there. Yeah, well, they haven't really proved it. I mean, that that loss even at Florida, I don't think has looked as good as we thought kind of coming in. Like a team that's expected to compete for their conference title, maybe be a potential playoff contender, probably should have beat a team of the caliber of Florida at the beginning of the season. But, you know, we, we kind of talked about it in our Pac-12 preview, you know, with Utah, with them having these very high expectations for this year, and really for the first time since they've been in the Pac-12, how would they handle that? And the thing is, is you know, this is really this is a massive game for them because obviously if they, they've already kind of, with two losses, they're already out of the playoff running, but they lose this, they're pretty much done when it comes to the Pac-12. And how do the players on that team, coaching staff, look at this year uh, if they happen to do it? And you have you know a team like USC that has all the momentum in the world, uh, with Utah, that's really kind of has its back up against the wall. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, with USC, just offensively, we saw what UCLA did uh, to this Utah front, um, being able to run for over 200 yards. You know, what's this USC uh, offense, which I think is has a little bit more of a dynamic quarterback. I think they have better receivers too, uh, led with Jordan Addison. So I think it's an interesting prospect. But then again, it's extremely tough to go to Salt Lake City and, and win up there too. A couple more games I just want to touch on. Uh, Minnesota at Illinois, noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. Illinois wins that game like they, I think, become the unquestioned favorite in the West. Um, they would still have to play Nebraska and Northwestern, but they would have head-to-head wins over Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So I think it's a big game for both teams. And again, we don't know if Tommy DeVito for Illinois will be available. We also don't know if Mo Ibrahim for Minnesota will be available. He missed their game against Purdue. I think P.J. Flex said today they expect to have him back, but still don't know there. Miami at Virginia Tech. I'm only talking about this game because it's it's a, it's a 12.30 Eastern kick on ESPN3. I mean, that is such a fall from grace for those two programs. Consider like <laughs> where they were 15 years ago, right? In Blacksburg or in Miami, like Coral Gables. And it's crazy to me that those teams are fighting for kind of the bottom of their division. Um, hey, Old Dominion and Coastal Carolina are playing on ESPNU at the same time. So basically ESPN picked Old Dominion <laughs> and Coastal Carolina over Miami and Virginia Tech. Just uh, out. Arkansas at BYU, twelve thirty uh, Pacific time on ESPN. Uh, two teams that really need a win. Arkansas needs a win. KJ Jefferson missed their game against Mississippi State. Uh, Sam Pittman doesn't know. Thinks he they may get him back for their trip to Provo. Good for Arkansas, by the way, for going up to Provo. That'll be a really fun. Um, I don't know if they have beer in Provo, but if they do, Arkansas will drink them totally dry. I'm assuming. Um, Lucas, some other intriguing games. LSU at Florida. Again, like as as uh, two men that have some win totals on, on each of these teams. This will be a big one for us. Florida 3-3, three and three, LSU 4-2. and two. Uh, I think, kind of think Florida's a better team. I'm not very high on LSU. 
uh, that game, 7 o'clock Eastern on Fox. Any other games you want to touch on here before we move on to picks? Uh, let me see here. I think Wisconsin and Michigan hit, State. Um, what are your what, what were just quick on 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 Wisconsin? The first game of the Jim Leonard era. Uh, it was exactly what I kind of hoped for. Um, I just think Northwestern is terrible. I don't even North Northwestern might not be better than Illinois State, an FCS team that we we beat earlier. Um, they are just not particularly good. So I'm trying not to like get too excited. But the offense looked night and day, a hundred times better. They were doing some stuff they did not do under Paul Chris. We're doing some RPOs, things like that. Um, Graham Mertz became the first quarterback in Wisconsin history to have two five touchdown games. Um, they even had all six touchdowns were by were by passing. One of them was also thrown by our running back. So wow. everything basically went right that could have went right in that game. Um, and they're going up against the Michigan State team that obviously has regressed a lot. Um, it's a winnable game for them. But uh, like I said, I'm holding my breath till I see uh, at least another game for them. But they couldn't have started it off any better than what they did last week. All right, Lucas, let's get to our picks of the week. It's how we close out every show. First, a little recap uh, of week six. Uh, for myself, my first undefeated week of the season and my first winning week, I think since week one, to be honest. Uh, I went 3-0. and I had North Carolina plus four, Arizona State plus 14 against Washington, both of those outright winners. My lock of the week, Tennessee minus two and a half um, at LSU. Never a doubt, Lucas. One and two for you. I think your first losing week of the season. Uh, you hit the over 59 in Maryland and Purdue. By the hair of your chinny chin chin. <laughs> yeah, it was thirty-one twenty-nine. You uh your losses BYU plus three and a half against Notre Dame in Vegas. They lose by eight, and then uh Nebraska minus three at Rutgers. Uh, the Scarlet Knights uh lose by only a point covering three point spread. On the season, Lucas fourteen and seven. Uh I am back over five hundred at ten, nine, and two. As a podcast, we are uh, 24, 16, and 2. Lucas, why don't you give us your upset of the week? Yeah, so a game that uh, we kind of touched on there a little bit. I'm taking Penn State plus 7 at Michigan. I just think these teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, and the fact that I can think that I can get a touchdown, I think this is going to be like a field goal-ish type game. Um, I think Penn State will be able to slow down a little bit of the running attack for Michigan. Um, and I think it's going to be just – it's a game that I think that's going to come down to the wire. It was no different last year when Michigan played at Penn State. So that's why I'm going to take Penn State and take the points. Yeah, so I went a little uh, – like last week, I ended up doing a upset for my – or an underdog for my pick of the week, and that is my pick of the week. So my pick of the week is Penn State plus seven. I – I don't know why this is a touchdown and not more like three and a half or four. Mm -hmm. I just see this being like a 23, 20, 31, 28, like 24, 20 kind of a game. I have not been impressed with Michigan the last couple of weeks. I think they played three teams without a pulse and in big 10 play, like in Iowa had a chance in the second half. Um, Indiana was, they were tied at halftime on the road against Indiana I know they're at home, um, and it'll be a great crowd, but I, I think Penn State has a good chance to win this game outright. So I'm taking uh, – I will go a little out of order, but I just wanted to touch on that game as well. So my pick of the week, Penn State plus seven. 
My upset of the week, I'm taking Tennessee plus seven and a half. Mm. Um, I just, I don't know. This could be a really bad take in a couple of days. I don't know if there is that separation between Alabama and Tennessee. I think this is the line that is baked in if Bryce Young plays. Um, the way with the way Tennessee's playing, I they probably get Cedric Tillman back this week. I like how Hendon Hooker plays. I think this is. I mean, Alabama's played some good quarterbacks. Granted, Quinn Ewers went out in the second quarter, but this is probably the best quarterback they faced since Quinn Ewers for a quarter, and he was doing some good things against them. So, my upset of the week is uh, Tennessee plus seven and a half at Alabama. Uh, Lucas, why don't you give us your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week um, is in the Big Ten. I'm taking the under 38 and a half in Illinois at Minnesota. Um, kind of for some of the things we talked about, no Tommy DeVito for Illinois. But I think Illinois' defense is really going to limit what Minnesota can do. We don't know if Mo Ibrahim is going to be back. They already have Chris Ottman Bell. They're leading wide receivers out for the year. And we saw that effect on Tanner Morgan through three picks. They only scored 10 points against Purdue. This is a much better defense, in my opinion. I think this is going to be kind of a similar game to what Illinois played last week. You know, probably a 17-10, to 21-14-isk uh, type game. I think the my worry about this is the quarterback play with Art Sotowski and Tanner Morgan. Are they going to throw just boneheaded picks in opponent territory uh, or in their own territory and stuff like that to set up easy scoring opportunities? But if they don't, I, I don't think there's going to be too many points in this game. So under... 38 and a half in Illinois. Minnesota. I love that. I think I'm going to bet that as well. Maybe once we get off this, once we stop recording, I mean, <laughs> if it's Art Stokowski, I don't know how Illinois puts up over like 17 points. I just don't. Yeah. If it's, I mean, they could not move the ball against Iowa. They barely could move it with, with uh, Tommy DeVito. So mm-hmm. love that. Absolutely love that pick. Um, my lock of the week, taking Clemson minus three and a half at Florida state. Um, I think this is kind of a statement game for Clemson. It's it's uh, it's seven thirty Eastern on ABC. Um, Florida State, I just think, is kind of in a gauntlet. They have a bye week next week. They played Wake Forest. They played at NC State. Now you got Clemson. Uh, Treshawn Ward, the running back for Florida State, might have a broken collarbone. Is going to miss some time. I think Clemson still gets up for games like this, prime time against a, a big national brand. And I think they win the game by between like seven and 14. So my lock of the week, Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State. Oh, man. We're great minds are thinking alike for two weeks in a row. Two of our three picks are the same. That was my lock. Or that yeah. was my, my lock, too. Uh, Clemson minus three for a lot of basically the same reasons you did. I mean, Florida State last week, you're up 10. You knock out Devin Leary. And you mentioned, too, NC State barely didn't, they didn't even want to throw in that game. Negative passing yards, yet they still blew that lead. I think this is a Clemson team that is kind of starting to find its stride, especially offensively. We've seen DJU play pretty darn well against Wake Forest, and then once again against NC State. Um, Also with Will Shipley, I just think they're flying with a lot of confidence right now where um, maybe Florida State, I think, gives them maybe a game in the first half. But this is something where I see that D-line really wreaking havoc on that offensive front that had a lot of issues uh, against NC state. Um, so yeah, I'm same reason. I think they're going to win by at least um, a touchdown in this game. All right. 
So to review my pick of the week, Penn State plus seven at Michigan. Lucas's pick of the week under 38 and a half in Illinois, Michigan, Illinois, Minnesota. Our upsets, Lucas has Penn State at Michigan. I have Tennessee plus seven and a half against uh, Alabama. And our lock of the week, we are in lockstep. Clemson minus three and a half at Florida State. Lucas, any final words before we sign off for the evening? Uh, just super stoked um, that we're probably going to have our best week of college football coming up here. There are great games and all um, all week or and every uh, every uh, TV window. So I'm very very excited about it. Um, and yeah, I cannot wait for that Tennessee Alabama game. I think Neyland Stadium is going to be nuts. Um, but once again, hopefully getting back on the winning track uh, this week after my first losing record of the season. So I feel good about it. I feel really, really good. Energized, refreshed, feel really good about this week heading in. Heck, heck yes. All right. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffalucas. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at running for roses. We hope you enjoy week seven of college football. Have a great night and stay frosty.